0: Welcome to Storm Stories, a collection of stories from Hurricane Florence. This podcast series explores resilience and recovery in the coastal region through local stories. I'm your host, Laura Bratton, broadcasting from the Working Narrative Studio. Today on Storm Stories
1: Love, passion, heartbreak, overwhelmed, anxiety, tired, frustrated, sympathy, empathy. I don't know. Like, I felt every emotion, every I felt everything that you could feel. I do not even know what I was even listing was even emotional.
0: This is how Cedric Harrison was feeling during Hurricane Florence when he organized and ran a disaster relief center outside of Wilmington's often-neglected neighborhood, Creekwood. If you've ever read those stories about people who just decide they're going to make a difference no matter the cost, that's Cedric.
1: I got aware that um, it was a certain neighborhood that nobody had set up outside of yet to serve. Um, the the three national disaster um, pods or hubs or what have you um, were were all set up in areas um, that were nowhere near the underserved community of Wilmington. Um, for reasons I, I I don't I don't know why, but we stepped up and we and we took over the Ebenezer Church, which was right outside of the Creekwood area.
0: By we, Cedric means support the port, a nonprofit he started three and a half years ago, focused on bringing the communities of Wilmington together through philanthropy, arts, culture, and music. During hurricanes, any legitimate nonprofit can set up at a location that's fully powered. So, support the port set up shop at Ebenezer Church outside of Creekwood and shifted its focus to disaster relief.
1: Uh, Creekwood area is uh is a um, majority African American, low income, high crime area one of the longest-standing public housing projects in, in Wilmington. You can just imagine people that live from paycheck to paycheck. And so the storm hit, they're already without food. They're already without access to resources. They're already without gas, you know?
0: Google Creekwood and images of caution tape and police cars are scattered through the results. It's Wilmington's quote-on-unquote dangerous neighborhood. Left to their own devices during the storm, residents were scrambling to find resources they didn't have much of in the first place.
1: That was kind of that was kind of the climate, you know. It was people that lost their house. It was people that lost their cars. People that 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 lost their clothes. You know, they may have, they may be top three for who went without power the longest, and they were out. They went without power for so long that they ended up having starting to have a curfew for that neighborhood. But they still came to the center got things that they needed, put things in their car, and then came back in and helped for the rest of the day.
0: Initially, the relief center focused on giving out food.
1: We averaged about 700 people a day. Wow. And we, pushed out and, we pushed out about 1,000 meals a day um, for about two weeks. Um, we, we went from feeding them dinner to feeding them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's when we realized a lot of the kids there are on, 100, you know, are on reduced free lunch and sometimes that may be the only time that these kids actually eat during that day. Those kids from the neighborhood actually like during that time started to fall in love with waking up and just walking to the actual church. Fourth graders all the way up to like eighth graders, it kind of slowed down but the kids started to go to the neighborhood and started going door to door.
0: Cedric says the kids of the neighborhood made up the backbone of volunteers. He says some came every day, and he remembers one in particular.
1: Uh, it, was one, it was one little boy that was from the neighborhood. Um, he would wake up every day, he would come to the center every day, he would come to the, to the distribution center every day. And then once we wrap up the day, we, we usually had, like, if we had any food left over, we, would, we knew who exactly we could give it to. We would give it right to him, and he, go, he would go right back to the neighborhood and just go door to door making sure people would get something to eat.
0: What were some of the main things you were supplying to the community during this time and did the kind of relief you provided change over time?
1: We gave out, um, oh, my gosh. For the first day, we had, like, paper towels, baby products, canned goods, cleaning supplies, batteries, flashlights, mops and brooms and stuff, right? Cases of water. And then when we started doing long-term recovery,
0: and you said you have, like, zero experience with disaster relief, right? What made you say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to start up this disaster relief effort?
1: I mean, honestly, it was like, if we didn't open up, where, would pe- where were these people going to go? How many people going to get these things?
0: Cedric talks about his decision to start the center at Ebenezer Church like it's an obvious choice. Seeing a need and filling it. With so many people, myself included, can easily be so focused on themselves, their family, their job, or whatever it may be, to even think about others in the first few days after a disaster. Maybe it's selfishness or ignorance. Maybe it's self-preservation. Whatever it is, Cedric was the opposite. His organizing was so effective, he eventually got the attention of some big players in the game of disaster relief.
1: FEMA found out about this site, and, and then we started to have FEMA reps at our site. We were the first urban community operation that FEMA came to and was like, we're going to set up here doing the application process. The paper products and stuff like that was the emergency relief but getting these people back into jobs, getting their health checked back up, getting their roof repaired, that's the long-term stuff. That's the stuff that's going to get people back to where they were before the storm and to a better place even before then. And now we have a database of 700 people that were affected by the storm that we have contact information for, addresses for where they were at before the storm and where they're at now.
0: Support the Port is still doing this long-term stuff today, many months after Florence. I asked Cedric why he thinks neighborhoods like Creekwood are forgotten about during disasters like hurricanes. He answers my question by talking about an instance after the storm where he got to sit next to those big players holding the cards.
1: We realized that we were actually operating and helping serve the community to the same, if not more, capacity-wise as, as FEMA and the other folks that were at, this, at, that were at the table. <laughs> and we got invited to that big table. That's how we knew that. We were there with the BBNTs, the FEMA, your Red Cross, your Salvation Army, your United Way. I'm literally like the only black guy in the room. <laughs> and so I can see why we were getting forgotten about when we had not at all any representation of us within, that, within those walls.
0: This was a kind of breakthrough moment. Cedric, a community leader, showing the region at large where the gaps are in disaster relief. When he takes a moment to reflect on the whole thing, on a takeaway from his experience, Cedric says the storm gave people a reason to communicate, a space to use their voice.
1: The storm removed a lot of barriers that hinder and delay people from diverse communities to connect. And at Ebenezer Church, I was able to see what happens when those barriers are not in the way. I saw a lot of people that, that usually stay to themselves, going above and beyond to make sure that they were helping others and making sure that they were seen and being known. And A lot more people use their voice. For a lot of people that are oppressed, the last thing they want to do is talk about it because it's just, it's just so stressful. It, it oppresses you to talk about your oppression. But the storm made it possible for people to open up. It made people feel like it was okay because everybody was going through it. It didn't just feel like it was this is a just me thing. I get a lot of quote unquote hood love like when I when I go now into the neighborhoods because I, you know, that's the guy that took care of us when nobody else did.
0: You've been listening to Storm Stories. Storm Stories is a project of the nonprofit arts and media organization Working Narratives which is based in Wilmington, North Carolina. To learn more about Storm Stories, visit www.workingnarratives.org. Funding for Storm Stories was provided in part by the Media Democracy Fund's NC Local News Lab Fund, Unitarian Universalist Beach at Shelter Rock Foundation, and generous individuals like you. I'm your host and producer, Laura Bratton. Editing for this podcast was done by Erica O'Brien and music was provided by Cambo Music. Special thanks to Ren Smith and Nick Saberla, and everyone who made this podcast possible. Thank you for listening.